Hey everybody, welcome to the very first episode of Worship This Week. I am Pastor John Strickland, and we are here to equip and prepare worshipers at Tabernacle Baptist Church. So we're going to jump right in with our question this week, our topic this week. And in, in recent months and weeks, we've been hearing about how worship is essential. Church is essential with churches shut down and churches not meeting or churches changing their meetings to entirely virtual or mostly virtual. Uh, there's been a lot of conversation about whether or not this is good, whether it's necessary, whether it should continue indefinitely. Uh, and, and even some churches have decided to cancel and suspend their in-person gatherings all the way until the end of the year and into next year, in some cases, just opting for that replacing the gathering of the church and worshiping together with completely virtual experience. And so we uh, have to think about this and whether or not, that, you know, we can't just make that decision mindlessly or carelessly or, or quickly, uh, just pragmatically, we have to think about it theologically and biblically and understand uh, what's actually happening when we replace our gathering with a virtual gathering. Uh, now, we here at Tabernacle did that for several weeks, about 10 weeks, I think, was how long that we only had virtual services. Um, we did that out of uh, necessity and out of uh, deference to uh, authorities that, um, that had put in place you know, recommendations and even orders uh, against mass gatherings and, and group gatherings. And so we did that uh, willfully, and um, uh, we did that uh, as well as we could. Uh, we uh, had online worship experiences and had a lot of folks that were engaged with that and, and really were uh, pleased with the response to that and uh, the effectiveness of that, keeping us connected, keeping us uh, in the Word. Um, and even though we couldn't gather together, we still had uh, that weekly rhythm of uh, some type of experience uh, to worship the Lord, uh, even though we weren't gathered in person. Uh, but of course, we opted to get back into worshiping in person as quickly as we could, uh, and there's reasons for that. And so today, I want to go through uh, three reasons why worship is essential, why worshiping in person, gathering together, the church meeting in person is essential. It is the biblical pref uh, preference. It's the biblical norm. Uh, and I've got three reasons um, that I want to kind of go through. Uh, so why is worship essential? First, uh, worship gathering, uh, the, the church gathering together in person to worship is in the very name of the church in the New Testament. Uh, the word that's most often translated as church in the New Testament in Greek, it's ecclesia. And in classical Greek, uh, ecclesia literally means the gathering of those summoned. And before uh, the church was founded, it, it had a meaning that really meant more in lines of uh, a civic gathering, like a public forum uh, of people gathering to debate issues uh, in kind of a civic sense. And then uh, the church... Uh, began being called this because it had that connotation of an assembly of people gathering together uh, and even those summoned or those that are called out. So the called people of God called out to gather together in an expression uh, of their identity as this church of God set apart and the weekly gathering or the frequent gathering uh, of those people together in one place was a was a symbol. It was a defining symbol uh, to set them apart and to identify them. And so the idea that that we would set aside completely the idea that we gather together in person uh, it really defies all the way back to the very word itself that means church in New Testament Greek. Uh, it, it defies the meaning of that. It defies the identity of the church in that word itself. 
Uh, and so just, just to illustrate, in the New American Standard Version, uh, the word ecclesia in Greek is translated as assembly three times, church 74 times, churches set, uh, 35 times, and congregation two times. And so in all of those, uh, it's kind of interchangeable. The idea of the church literally is the idea of an assembly of people gathering together. And so uh, the church is defined by our primary activity, which is gathering together for worship. And so quite literally, it's the essence of who we are. Why is it essential? Because it's the essence of who we are. It's in our name. We are the gathering of those who are called out. Uh, we're called by God to come together and to be the church as we gather together. Second thing uh, is that it's, a, it's essential for God's glory. Uh, worship, gathering uh, together for worship, corporate worship, you might call it that, uh, which just means the body, uh, corporate meaning body, the body worshiping together. Uh, corporate worship is essential for God's glory. Uh, number one, because it's commanded of us uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, where it tells us not to forsake the gathering together. Uh, it's the norm. It's assumed. Uh, it's commanded by God, but it's also what we see in the New Testament as just the assumption. And so any kind of teaching about what we do in worship or what happens when the church is together, it automatically assumes uh, as a prerequisite for any of those contexts uh, that we're gathered together. Uh, because otherwise, these commands and things don't make any sense unless it's in the context of, obviously, it's implied, it's assumed that the church is gathered together in person. Colossians 3.16 uh, one of my favorite passages to talk about my philosophy of worship it talks about teaching and admonishing one another by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, uh, and which is which is obviously in the context of being together. We have to be in the same place to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to each other in order to teach and admonish each other with those songs. Uh, and then 1 Corinthians 14, of course, talking about uh, order in worship, uh, but, but it's, just, it's just implied in the, in the premise where Paul says, when you come together, do these things, do things this way, when you come together, not if you come together, not if you decide that this is the way that you want to have church. He's like, no, when you come together, it's, it's assumed, it's implied, it's obvious uh, to all of the readers that that's something that we do and that's, it's, it's implied and it's, and it's essential for the church's identity. So, uh, for God's glory, meaning he commands it, he re requires it, it's his uh, whole premise for what the church is supposed to be and what we're supposed to do that we would gather together. So it's essential for God's glory. It's essential for our good. It's essential for our good because uh, what happens or what's supposed to happen when we gather together. Uh, it's essential for our good because of what we're supposed to benefit from when we worship together, when we come to worship, what's supposed to be happening. Uh, now, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, 11 through 16 uh, talks about spiritual maturity, but it talks about it in the context of the church and the body. And I would argue it's in the context of what the body does when we gather together. So hear me out on this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11 says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ." from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, 
when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, especially in light of the Colossians 3 passage and then the parallel passage in Ephesians a little bit later after this, what I just read in chapter 5, is the parallel passage to the Colossians passage that talks about addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, and, and then the, the language in chapter 4 about the body of Christ and unity in the body and being joined together and then the context of the teachers and the preachers teaching and admonishing so that we would be built up into the fullness of Christ. I see corporate worship all through all of that stuff. And so the, the phrase speaking the truth in love is kind of a central phrase and it's probably one uh, that we all know because it's often cited as an instruction for how to rebuke people or how to maybe evangelize in especially difficult or hostile situations. Uh, and people, people, what they mean by that is they say we speak the truth because the truth is sometimes hard. So we speak the hard truth, but we do it in a soft way, meaning in love. And that's not necessarily a wrong way of thinking about how in some situations we might need to evangelize uh, or how we might need to rebuke someone or approach a confrontation, uh, meaning that we would stand for the truth and not compromise, but yet do that in a kind or a gentle uh, way. That's not necessarily an unbiblical idea. I just don't know if that idea really necessarily comes so strongly from this passage, given the context of that phrase. That phrase by itself, we kind of parse that out and then kind of separate it from the rest of the context here. But the context here uh, is not like how we confront people or how we evangelize. The context here is is the identity and practice of the church. So what are the leaders for? What are their roles? What is their primary function and mission, which is spiritual maturity? But how often do we associate our worship services, our worship gatherings with a really robust idea of spiritual formation and spiritual maturity? Uh, I think usually in our thinking, um, the kind of the hard discipleship and the, the, the progress and the spiritual growth and the spiritual formation, uh, a lot of times that's left to what we do in small groups or what we do in discipleship training or what we do on our own when we read books or go in more in-depth Bible studies. That's where kind of the, the meat of the spiritual growth and the discipleship and the maturity and formation happens. And we kind of think of worship on Sunday morning, um, especially since uh, since the, the, the church history of revivalism in the, in the 19th century and into the 20th century, we think of it as kind of a, 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 an emotional experience or an evangelistic meeting where we're supposed to invite unchurched people to Sunday morning. And it's kind of more superficial or more basic. We just preach the gospel and we leave the, the maturity and the formation and, and the deep stuff to other contexts. But I don't think that that is what the New Testament really has in mind at all. I think that Paul, what he's saying is he's meaning that uh, that when the church gathers together uh, every time, but especially the primary gathering, the primary worship service, the weekly assembly, uh, that the purpose of that is that same spiritual maturity, that in-depth growth, in-depth teaching, uh, that we would be formed, that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves of every doctrine, but that because of what we do in worship, because of the songs that we sing, because of the word that we hear preached, so that we read together, that that's building us up into being the church. And so I want to think about the phrase speaking the truth in love as, as meaning something more like proclaiming the gospel and teaching the Bible, which is the truth. So speaking the truth, proclaiming the gospel, teaching the Bible within the special unique fellowship we have as the church when we gather together. And that, that special and unique fellowship is, is made unique 
because we're bound together by love, the love of God and the love of Christ, and how that causes us to love one another. In a First John 4, since if God so loved us, uh, brothers, we ought to love one another. And so if we speak the truth in love, we proclaim the truth, we preach the Bible in love, in the context of the loving fellowship, the bond of love that we have uh, with the brothers and sisters that gather together on Sunday. So when he says, uh, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who's in the head. Rather, when we gather together, when we gather together for worship to speak the truth in the loving fellowship that we have with each other as the church, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body... So we have this image in our minds of the whole body being joined together in the worship service. And so then he connects that the whole body joined and held together by every joint uh, with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow. So the only way that that can happen is when we're together. Every part is together. Uh, and then and not just in worship, but when we're doing other activities, when we're serving, uh, when we're teaching, uh, when we're uh, doing ministry, uh, and, and our different roles. So we, we, all that happens in the context of our gathering. And so I think that's a much better way of thinking about that. So why is worship essential? Uh, it's in our name. It's the essence of who we are. It's what the church is. It's what the church is defined as. It's essential for God's glory because he, he's required it of us. He's commanded us not to forsake meeting together. It's, it's assumed uh, in all the teaching that he inspired by his spirit in the word about worship. It's assumed that that takes place in the context of being gathered together in person. Uh, and finally, it's essential for our good because that's where we grow. That's how we become disciples. That's how we mature in the context of worshiping together uh, because that worship is supposed to be shaped by the truth. It's supposed to be rich in content in the truth, both in the preaching and in the singing and in the praying and the reading of scripture. Uh, and all of those things contribute to that how, uh, how we grow up. So yes, church is essential. Yes, worship is essential. Uh, we have to prioritize gathering together. Uh, and even even in this year that's been so crazy when we had to we had to even take the extreme measure of setting that aside uh, for a short time uh, of course we were eager to get back we were eager uh, as soon as we could safely you know do that we were eager to do it and uh, and we're eager uh, obviously to keep that as our norm uh, we're very reluctant to keep uh, you know the virtual gathering as a norm because uh, because as we've just discovered that's not biblical uh, it's not good for the church to uh, to forsake uh, the very foundation uh, of what corporate worship, what the weekly Lord's Day gathering is supposed to be uh, for who we are and what we do. Uh, coming up Sunday on November 1st, 2020, uh, and our call to worship is going to be Psalm 115. And Psalm 115 uh, is, a, is a great psalm. Uh, all, all the way through, obviously all of scripture is great, but this psalm, especially for, for reading and corporate worship is so good uh, because it just talks about our trust in the Lord uh, and his, uh, his, his control and his faithfulness uh, to us. Uh, and uh, the, the verses that stand out that kind of define this psalm are verses two and three and says, why should the nation say, where is their God? Meaning, why should other nations, other people that are not believers, why should they look in at us and say, where is their God? And the response is, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Um, and so that's the confidence that we have 
uh, in who our God is. So as we're gathering to worship at the very beginning of our service, we have a call to worship that's supposed to help us orient uh, our focus toward God. Uh, and so what we want to do is read scripture and sing uh, songs at the beginning of our service that help us focus on something about God, looking to God, uh, 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 something about who he is, what his nature is, uh, what he has done, uh, so that we so that we kind of coming out of the world, coming out of our weekly grind and our, and our daily lives, we're coming into the gathering, and we want to focus on God first. Uh, we want to adore the Lord. We want to adore uh, Christ. We want to adore who he is. We focus on who he is first, uh, and then that'll set us up to progress through the rest of the liturgy or the order of things um, in a way that's very gospel-centered that helps us, again, reorient ourselves around uh, what the gospel means to us. And so so this Sunday, we're doing that with Psalm 115. Uh, Not to us, O Lord, uh, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases, and what he pleases is his steadfast love and his faithfulness. And so we can be sure that no matter what happens, that God is in the heavens. He's doing all that he pleases. His will cannot be thwarted or overcome uh, or missed. Uh, and and we know that his purpose is steadfast love and faithfulness to us, e- even when it doesn't seem that way. And so what we're going to sing to respond to this great uh, reminder of the word is uh, the, the great hymn, Have Faith in God. And um, I'm not going to read all of the lyrics uh, because it's pretty familiar to most of us, but um, uh, each verse starts with a different circumstance, a different time in your life when you should have faith in God. Have faith in God when your pathway is lonely. Have faith in God when your prayers are unanswered. Have faith in God in your pain and your sorrow. Uh, have faith in God, and this is kind of the catch-all, uh, though all else fail about you. Okay, so your, your pathway is lonely, your prayers aren't answered, your pain and your sorrow, and then the final verse is anything else. Everything else can fail about you, but have faith in God because he provides for his own. He cannot fail, though all kingdoms shall perish. What a great reminder, again, during this election season. Uh, though, though all kingdoms shall perish, no matter what happens uh, in the civil authorities and the government rulers of the world, uh, he cannot fail. He rules. He reigns. He's on his throne. That's what the hymn says, exactly like what the psalm says. He's on his throne. Uh, he is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Uh, he watches o'er his own. He cannot fail. He must prevail. Uh, so have faith in God. And then, uh, and, and then uh, you know, what a great reminder uh, about, you know, where we stand with God. Uh, if, if we're believers, if we've been forgiven and reconciled with God, then, then that's where we stand with him, uh, that he cannot fail us. And, and then, then we'll, we'll move to read Isaiah 55. Um, which is another uh, another just really comforting and assuring uh, word, uh, and I'm and I'm going to join that uh, as we read. We're going to connect Isaiah 55 with John chapter seven, um, uh, and, and this will be an interesting connection, I think, because 55 says, uh, verse one: Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Um, Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Why do you spend your money on that which does not satisfy when we know that Christ is what ultimately satisfies us? Um, we, uh, and, and, we, and we do this every day. I mean, this is, this is why we, we read these types of things and make these connections in our service because we need that reminder. All of us, myself included, 
we look to other things to satisfy us. We look to other things to uh, bring us joy, uh, to bring us peace. Uh, and, and, and this is just the word of God asking us uh, again for another, another week, uh, just reminding us, why do you do that? Why do you chase after idols? Why do you chase after things that don't satisfy? Um, and, and because we always, we know we always come, we always end up, uh, lacking. We always end up, uh, uh, not content, not satisfied, chasing after things of the world to bring us that satisfaction. And then, and then connecting that to John chapter seven. And Jesus says this, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Just like Isaiah said, come anyone who thirsts, come and drink without price, without money, uh, buy wine and milk. And, and Jesus says, whoever, whoever thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so we, we see that we see that promise in Isaiah realized in Christ himself speaking, saying, I am the drink that satisfies. I'm the living water. Uh, and, you, you, you know, drink, uh, drink from me and you'll find uh, that, that satisfaction that you're looking for. Stop chasing after other idols and stop spending your money on things that never satisfy. Uh, and so then to respond to that, then we're going to sing, Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, which is a, a newer song. Uh, we've done, sang it several times. I think it's pretty familiar to us by now, but uh, it just talks about that. The first, the first verse, uh, you know, Lord, my rock and my redeemer, you are the greatest treasure of my longing soul. Uh, and I think we all come, we all come to Sunday morning with a longing soul. No matter where we are, uh, there's something that we're longing for, uh, and we never reach perfection, obviously, in this life until we're, you know, given our glorified bodies and and made, you know, made completely righteous with the Lord. Um, and so there's always something, and just a reminder, uh, uh, Lord, you are the greatest treasure of my soul. Like you, there is no other, and true delight is found in you alone. Um, and then the second verse talks about uh, being weary and how he's the he's our de- defender uh, and our champion w- against uh, the enemy and against uh, you know when we're tired and weary uh, and when we're sorrowful um, and that he's my joy when my trials abound. And then the third verse uh, really brings it home with the truth of the gospel itself uh, and and uh, he's the gracious savior of my ruined life, um, my guilt, my cross laid on his shoulders. In my place, you suffered, blood, and died, but then you rose. Grave and death are conquered, broke my bonds of sin and shame. Uh, and then the final line uh, is kind of our response to the gospel, which is, uh, Oh Lord, may all my days bring glory to your name. Because that's uh, once we've been saved and changed and transformed into the image of Christ, now our goal is to bring glory all of our days. Uh, so just a wonderful hymn uh, that, again, is very comforting, very assuring. Uh, um, but also doesn't shy away from the truth that uh, apart from Christ, uh, we have no hope. Uh, it's not about feeling good. It's not about chasing after some kind of emotional high. Uh, my, I'm guilty. Uh, my guilt and my cross uh, had to be laid on him. He had to suffer and bleed and die uh, because I was broken and I was sinful and I had offended God. Uh, and in that state of sin, I had no, I had no chance of achieving true delight or finding joy in trials apart from Christ, uh, and he had, to, he had to go through the cross and die uh, to forgive that sin so that, so that then he could become our redeemer and our defender uh, and our savior and, and our delight. So uh, just a wonderful reminder again. Uh, uh, and that song uh, coming from Sovereign Grace Music, which I highly recommend uh, any of their materials uh, to you. Um, 
if you're into podcasts, they just launched a new podcast, which is great. Um, but all of their music is wonderful. And um, uh, that song particularly written, written by a guy named Nathan Stiff. Uh, so, then, uh, so then we'll have a pastoral prayer and our sermon as usual. Um, and then uh, to respond to the sermon, we'll sing uh, just a really simple song, but I love it because it's so simple. Uh, and kind of responding, picking up on the theme of Lord, my rock and my redeemer, repeat that phrase several times in that song. Uh, but then we'll just sing, there is a redeemer. Um, the Keith Green song, uh, uh, many of you might remember uh, back in the day, but it still, it still holds its own, stands the test of time. There is a redeemer, Jesus, God's own son, precious lamb of God, Messiah, the Holy One. Uh, name above all names, uh, and then when I stand in glory, I will see his face. There I'll serve my king forever in that holy place. And then the chorus, it repeat each time, of course, just very simply says, Thank you, O my Father, for giving us your son and leaving your spirit to the work on earth is done. So just a great uh, Trinitarian uh, song, very simple, but again, very profound. Um, and then picking up on that Trinitarian idea that we see in that, uh, in that song of singing about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, uh, we're just going to respond and, and close out with 2 Corinthians, uh, the, final, the final verse in the book of 2 Corinthians, which is in chapter 13, verse 14, just says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Uh, just that simple blessing, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit um, uh, being on us. So that's, what, that's how we'll worship on Sunday. I hope that this has helped you uh, just be ready and be prepared. Uh, and that's what we're going to be talking about in the future. In the next few episodes next week and, and week to follow, uh, we'll be uh, getting into preparing for worship. Why should we prepare for worship? Is it important uh, that we spend any amount of time before we show up on Sunday uh, preparing for what's going to happen on Sunday? So we'll talk about some of those things, different ways that we can prepare. Uh, so I'm looking forward to those discussions as well. Uh, again, I hope this is helpful. I hope it helps you, again, engage in worship on Sunday in a more meaningful way uh, and that hopefully that will increase over time. And so, and so over time, may we all grow as worshipers. And again, that's kind of the title of this is just very simple, Worship This Week. Uh, of course, just kind of referring to uh, we're going to talk about worship this week. What are we going to do in worship this week? But also it's, it's kind of a verb um, uh, and, 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 a, and a command, kind of a, a charge to you, worship this week. Uh, be a worshiper this week. Uh, worship is not just what happens on Sunday morning. Uh, worship is the whole life of the believer, being obedient to Christ and living in a way that pleases him. Uh, and so, again, I'll leave you with that. Worship this week. Be a worshiper. Uh, so glad that you joined us. Thanks again, and we'll see you on Sunday.